Good evening, everyone, and welcome to 30 Minute Sports. My name is David, and for a half hour each week, I'll be talking about the latest current events in the world of athletics. From game recaps to breakdowns and rants, and even a few history lessons, you'll have it all here. And just because sports aren't and isn't being played right now, doesn't mean we can't talk about it or its great history. On the subject of history, of course, this past weekend saw the conclusion of the ESPN documentary series, The Last Dance. Um, now, I have to admit, when I first heard about the documentary, and when I first saw the trail for it, I didn't think much of it. You know, I didn't really put a lot of stock into documentaries like this in their series. But given the fact that COVID-19 is going on, there's no sports to watch, really. I thought, hey, why not give it a go? Plus, the 90s Bulls team was one of the greatest teams in the history of the game. Uh, the series came, it was a 10-part series that two aired each night for five weeks in a row. It concluded Sunday night, obviously, with the Bulls' um, sixth championship, the one against Utah, back-to-back against them. Um, and it was after this, of course, that the entire team, the entire core was dismembered. Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, Steve Kerr did not return. Phil Jackson left, obviously. Jerry Krause and Jerry Reinsdorf were blamed for all this, which I don't necessarily think is fair because you got to give Krause credit for building that team entirely as a whole. Um, and, you know, I feel like we think about the negatives of people too much, and there's no question about it that uh, his work was a big reason why that team absolutely dominated the 1990s. And I absolutely – Love the documentary. It had great interviews, great behind-the-scenes footage in the locker rooms and on trips. Um, I love all the trash talk, all the scenes from practice, and all the memes of Michael Jordan that have come from it, uh, no question about it, especially the laughing iPad meme in reference to a quote Gary Payton made about their ch- about the Sonic's chances of beating the 72-win Bulls team, which made me laugh too. Um, the documentary – so the stuff in the documentary that I loved – I love the Dennis Rodman feature. I really do not know why people looked at him as a bad boy and all that stuff. He was a character. Um, He was a hell of a player who showed up and yeah, he may have done crazy things off the court, but he always busts his butt off. And that's a very admirable trait out of any basketball player, any athlete for that matter. Kobe Bryant, the part with him, of course, this is uh, not even half a year after his death. It was almost scary to watch them talk about that. I think it was the 98 All-Star Game and watching that interview with Kobe because it was almost like you were hoping you would wake up from a bad dream and he would be interviewed by Scott Van Pelt that night on SportsCenter uh, in reference to this episode of The Last Dance. But uh, unfortunately, I was just – I was dreaming. I was hoping that it would just be you – know, it feels so weird without Kobe because he seems so immortal – uh, on the subject of Kobe and comparisons to Michael, um, this series has once again, you know, brought the basketball goat debate to the forefront. Um, you know, is Michael Jordan the greatest of all time? Is LeBron James the greatest of all time? Or is it somebody else, i.e. a Kobe Bryant, a Magic Johnson, a Larry Bird, a Bill Russell, anybody like that? Um, personally, I've always given the GOAT title to, Le- to Michael Jordan, rather, and I still do to this day. I, it's, it's the fairly obvious reason, it's a generic reason to say, well, he's got six championships, six finals, MVPs, all that stuff. I understand the era argument. There's no question about that. But one thing, a couple things I love about Michael, he was a one-team player. I'm not even, really, that stint with Washington at the end does not even really count. 
he was a one-team player for all of his career. They obviously took that break following his uh, the death of his father and obviously to focus on some baseball. Um, one-team player. He showed up to the United Center every night and busted his butt off and always seemed to come through in the clutch. Rarely ever lost. I think Kobe Bryant's the only guy that you can really compare to Michael because he had he has the rings, he had the stats, and he also had that killer instinct. Both those players um, drove their teammates to be better, and the players in the Bulls, like Steve Kerr, became better players because of Michael. And I feel... In general, yeah, people might have said Michael was an a-hole, was a bully and all that stuff. I don't think he would have been getting on his teammates' case if he didn't care about them. Um, You know, Steve Kerr felt that getting punched in the face, basically, in that practice, and I think it was 96, was one of the best things that happened to him. You know, and that's the thing. You know, this generation can be a little bit soft with player treatment and all that stuff, but I think Michael busted those guys because he cared, because he wanted – not just himself to succeed, but he wanted the, all the other 11 guys on that Bulls team to succeed as well. And you can't blame a guy. Kobe Bryant was the exact same way. He wanted the Lakers to succeed. He pushed his teammates. And here's another key thing. Nobody left over a feud with Michael or Kobe. Maybe Shaquille O'Neal, which I think all came down to player power and all that stuff. That that all by. And one thing I love about – and the other common dominator with Michael and Kobe is they prevented the great ones – from winning championships, unlike LeBron James. Michael Jordan prevented the likes of that Utah team with Carl Malone and John Stockton from winning. They prevented Charles Barkley from winning a championship when they played Phoenix Clyde Drexler and that Portland Trailblazers team. Uh, Patrick Ewing, you know, he got to the finals, yes, but he never had to go through Michael Jordan doing it. Um, that prevent He prevented, let's see, uh, Patrick and, and the Reggie Miller Pacers right at the end from winning championships. Um, the Magic team with Shaq and Penny Hardaway, they didn't get the job done when they faced Houston in 95. Wouldn't you know it? They come back in 96. I think Shaq was already gone by then, and uh, Chicago ended up beating them in that series. They had, they still had Horace Grant in that team too. Um, and you think about they beat Gary Payton and Sean Kemp in that great Sonics team. Just think of the Sonics had won one of those championships in the mid-90s. They might not have moved to Oklahoma City. Just throwing that out there. Um it's a shame that they never won one because they were that stacked with Peyton, Kemp, Detlef, Shrimp. Um, oh, they had one other player. I can't remember his name. Um, they got to the finals that one time in 96 and had the misfortune of playing that 72-win team. Um, and I think Kobe was the exact same way. Reggie Miller never won a championship. Allen Iverson never won a championship. The Nets, who went to two straight finals, didn't win. I mean – Obviously, no one put Dwight Howard in the discussion of Carl Malone and John Stockton, but they prevented that Magic team from winning a championship, um, a Magic team that had already beaten Boston and Cleveland on the way to the finals that year. And I also look at – you look at that Game 7 against Boston in 2010 when Kobe and that Lakers team were just cold-blooded as hell, down by 13. They never gave up, and they had that resilience. And I think the character, the success – those are the things that Michael and Kobe had. Something that LeBron didn't. Now I'm going to get probably get a lot of hate on this. I, LeBron fans, I'm not kidding about this. Drive me up the wall because I feel all they do is make excuses for why he lost or why he's quote unquote better than MJ. Um, there's this one page on Instagram I keep stumbling across. I don't know why I keep getting updates from this guy. Um, it's one of those uh, LeBron fan pages. 
there was uh, one post where they showed James having better stats than his five or six more recent finals games. Now, full disclaimer, LeBron is an all-time great. I'm not denying that for a second. He's one of the best players I've ever seen. Um, and he has come through in the clutch. I mean, that's that win against the 73 Warriors team, I had to swallow my pride and admit that was great. You know, he's done his job. I'm not denying that. He's got the MVPs. He's got stats. No one's questioning that. But I do feel he has benefited from certain things that Michael and Kobe didn't necessarily benefit from or shall we say, benefited from, but not to the best extent. Back to what I was saying about the whole thing about LeBron having better stats than Michael in the five or six most recent final games. In his past five games, he's lost all of them. His past six games, he's won in five, meaning LeBron here. Um, I feel stats we sometimes overrate, and I feel people just use them to either nitpick or to, quote, prove their point of view and ignore other things or they're oblivious to certain things. Maybe Jordan's stats weren't as good because he was doing the little things to help the Bulls win. It's that simple. Same thing with Kobe and the Lakers. He was doing his things to help them win. Remember, he was the supporting player to Shaq when they won the first three championships from 2000, 2002. And he did the little things as well when they beat the Magic and Celtics in 2009 and 2010, both of which he won finals MVPs for. It's like in other sports. You look at the National Football League. Tom Brady was the ultimate game manager for that first championship. You can make the argument even for the second one he was. But nobody talks about it. Why? A, because he won. B, because he did the little things in order for the Patriots to win that game, whether it be slant passes, handoffs, and the defense, you know, you could say they, they were the big reason why they won that first championship. And other reasons why I take Michael and Kobe over LeBron James is conduct on the court. When the Bulls and Lakers' backs were against the wall, I feel Kobe and Michael both took charge and did what they had to do. Not saying LeBron doesn't or LeBron doesn't have killer instinct or anything like that. He's had his fair share of great moments. But there have been numerous times over the past, like I've been watching basketball since I was probably seven years old, where he's been mopey and pouty sitting on the sidelines in fourth quarter games that they are getting absolutely pounded in. Michael and Kobe never quit and always played until the final horn. They played all 48 minutes to the fullest. And the part in the last dance when they were talking about, you know, the game against the Knicks, the year when Jordan wasn't there, when Scottie Pippen basically pulled himself out of the game and his teammates were pissed at him for doing that. I don't blame him. I think if Michael was there, that definitely would not have happened. Um, Let's see. I mean, Michael and Kobe, for all their faults um, off the court, you know, they they both had issues. Let's not kid ourselves. Michael had the gambling problem. Kobe had that allegation against him, which I think was nonsense. Um, they were both one-team players, and they didn't run anybody to town. I already said that. And I feel LeBron has held team executives hostage in the past to get pieces for him. I can remember when they didn't get – I think it was Eric Bledsoe uh, a couple years ago, and he went to the Cavs and just went absolutely mental. Michael and Kobe never got Phil Jackson to leave. If anything – they said they would leave if they didn't keep those guys. Um, for, as far as the Cavs go, yes, Dan Gilbert is an absolute a-hole of an owner, a total scumbag. He is nowhere near the legacy of Jerry Buss or Jerry Reinsdorf. Um, but that team in Cleveland got shortchanged because I feel that you install a guy like Tywin Lewis as your head coach, that's a guy basically LeBron wanted because he was going to be a yes man for LeBron. That was going to give him the freedom to do whatever the hell he want. You cannot just let one player, I don't care how good he is, I don't care if he's the face of the franchise or the league for that matter, 
he's still one of 12 guys, and a coach has got to make them realize that. And I feel when LeBron went to the Lakers, what were the Cavs left with? They had J.R. Smith, and they had all those players. They were a total mess. They were left with a team that was built basically by LeBron, for LeBron James, but without him. And it's no wonder why the Cavs have been terrible ever since LeBron left. Now, I know you know LeBron fans can make the argument that, well, look at the um, Cavs record when LeBron left both times. Yes, that's obviously the case. They went from a, a premier team to absolutely terrible, and the Bulls managed to what I think was 57 games in the 94-95 season. They lost to the Knicks, or the 93-94 season, rather. They lost to the Knicks, for crying out loud, a team that the Bulls absolutely owned when Michael Jordan was there. Patrick Ewing, Oakley, that Knicks team, um, never beat the Bulls when Michael Jordan was playing against them. So 57 wins, who knows? They might have won 62. They might have had home field. The If Michael hadn't left, they might have won eight championships in a row. I don't think that's a joke. I think if they had stayed, the 99 championship might have been a little bit tough because San Antonio were coming along. But, it, you know, you never know. Obviously, Miami had Alonzo Mourning, the Knicks. That was the year the eight-seeded Knicks made the NBA Finals. And as far as, you know, back to LeBron goes, and I'll keep this very short because I'm kind of getting sick of talking about this. But as far as LBJ goes, I have never in the four major sports leagues come across an athlete who has whined and moaned to referees and flops like in a, like a soccer player more than him. The only guy who's probably who has complained as much to referees as much as LeBron is Tom Brady. I'm a diehard Patriots fan, and I have no problem admitting that whatsoever. I think for all his great qualities, yes, he's the GOAT, but he does complain to referees a lot, like most star players do. And, and LeBron, like most star players, does complain to referees. But he does it on a whole other level that becomes infuriating to watch. Um, the only thing I can say about LeBron He's done great work in the city of Akron, and he didn't get in trouble off the court the way Michael and Kobe have. That I'll give him. And I'm not saying he isn't an all-time great at all. He's definitely top five, maybe even top three. Hell, in most people's eyes, he's top two. But for you know, for fanboys that like to say, that always like to point to Michael having Pippen, Rodman, all those guys, that point to Kobe having Shaq, and who like to point out Pau Gasol, who I think is the most overrated player, one of the more overrated players in the NBA, this is my argument. LeBron had D. Wade. He had Chris Bosh, Ray Allen, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Love for three championships, for all three of those championships. So for the argument of how many times he's made it as well, I think he's benefited from the Eastern Conference being incredibly weak. Michael played in an Eastern Conference that was strong. He had to go through Reggie Miller. He had to go through the Magic with Shaq and Penny Hardaway. He had to go through the Knicks with Patrick Ewing. Early on, he had to go through the bad boy Pistons teams with Isaiah Thomas and Bill Ambeer and Dennis Robin, who, you know, when Robin was there, they did not beat. There's no question about that. And the whole argument with the Pistons walking off the court, I think, I mean, it, it's been 30 years. I think we should just let it go. Yeah, it was the wrong thing to do. I know the Celtics did the same thing, and, and that wasn't necessarily right. Uh, people have made the argument, well, you should give them the benefit of the doubt because they were going to get trampled by the Auburn Hills people. The Celtics beat, I think it was Philadelphia the year before, and the Boston Garden crowd uh, stormed the court. And Le- and uh, Larry Bird was basically punching people out of the way to get to the locker room. So you can make that argument, no question. Was what the Pistons did professional? No, but I think it's 30 years. We should let it go. And I don't 
the whole thing about Isaiah Thomas not being on the dream team, I mean, okay, I can buy that to some extent. I know, I know the members of the dream team did have problems with him, but for a team that was coached by Chuck Daly, who coached Isaiah Thomas for all those years, I would think he would select him, or I would have thought he would have selected him. Um, that was one of my favorite parts of the documentary, how they talked about the um, the dream team and the practices. That The practices were probably better than the Olympic Games. The practices might have been the greatest basketball games that nobody ever saw. Um, back to the, back to the whole thing. I kind of got off topic there. The Eastern Conference being weak in LeBron's era. There's no question about that. Besides maybe an aging Celtics team in his days in Miami, Michael had a tougher Eastern Conference. Kobe had a Western Conference where he had to beat San Antonio with that big three. He had to beat Dallas with Dirk Nowitzki, and he had to beat Phoenix with Steve Nash. His last championship that was that was when OKC was rising when they had uh, a young Durant, a young Westbrook. I think Jeff Green was on that team as well. Um, they had to beat very good teams. Both those guys did. I feel LeBron has benefited from a terrible Eastern Conference. Again, that's not to say he hasn't beaten great finals opposition. He beat. He was on the team that beat the 73-win Warriors side. He was on the team that beat, uh, the, the only team that beat San Antonio in NBA Finals ever. A uh, little bit of help from Ray Allen, of course. And he beat OKC with Durant and Westbrook. Yeah, no one will take that away from him. But I personally just think when it comes to character, when it comes to killer instinct, when it comes to mental toughness, and when it comes to being pleasing to watch, I would absolutely take Michael and Kobe over LeBron any day of the week. As far as a natural athlete goes, I think LeBron is a – I think there is a difference between who's the best player out of those three and who's the and who's the greatest. I, I can buy that argument. I think LeBron is the best player of all time. But I don't think he's the greatest. I, I think there's a difference. And so in the same way, I don't think Tom Brady is necessarily the best quarterback of all time. He's the greatest. There's No one will take that away from him. But as far as best quarterback of all time goes, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a gray issue. I, I'll, I'll put it that way. I, I'll absolutely put it that way before my friends come out and absolutely uh, destroy me for trashing the GOAT. That is Tom Brady. Enough with the whole Jordan praising and my LeBron bashing. I want to talk about the impact of the Bulls dynasty and what it had on the NBA and sports. In terms of NBA history, they are one of the two or three best dynasties, you know, of all time. The two, the 21st century Spurs, this Warriors team, the Lakers of the 80s, those four teams were absolutely terrific. I mean, you look at that Celtic dynasty, that was obviously great, but that the league wasn't as diverse as it was back now. Uh, there were only 10 teams. Um... So to see it, no team will win nine championships in a row in this era. When you look at what the Bulls did, six in a row, two three-peats. I mean, within the era of free agency and the salary cap, um, and the game was becoming more physical too, um, that was just incredible. And another thing that I was thinking about this a couple nights ago, I look at the last, um, I looked at this, look at Chicago sports in the 90s. The Cubs and the Bears were pretty dreadful. The White Sox underachieved, and the Blackhawks had an illustrious legacy of failure with that team. I mean, come on, with Roenick, with Hossett, with Brett Hole, they should have won a Stanley Cup. They made it to one and got swept by Pittsburgh. Um, I don't blame Krause or Reinsdorf, as I said, for breaking up the team. Um, that's, you know, that's an argument, I think, for another podcast. But the impact of how in Chicago sports was huge. You compare that to what the 90s Yankees did. Yeah, what the 90s Yankees did was unbelievable. But 
the New York sports fans still had something to fall back on. If this makes sense, they still had the Giants teams winning Giants team winning a Super Bowl in 1990, and they still had the Rangers winning a cup in 94. You look at the Lakers dynasty, the 2000s, they were a great dynasty when the city of Los Angeles won a ton of championships. They won five championships. The Angels won the World Series. USC won two straight football national championships. And the Ducks won a Stanley Cup. And the Kings have won two cups as well. Look at the Patriots. The Patriots dynasty is a part of Boston sports' great run as a whole. Because the city of Boston, they're responsible for half of the championships. Patriots have won six Super Bowls. Boston in the 21st century have won 12. And the other teams, in particular the Red Sox, have done their part as far as upholding that the entire city does well, not just the Patriots. What the Bulls did was, you know, they united the entire city. They were, without a doubt, Chicago's team. You could make the argument that the Patriots weren't necessarily Boston's team because the Red Sox were still winning, because all all the Boston teams were winning. So I would say the Patriots were Boston's team, but I feel that's a debate that we could debate until the cows come home. Um, and so, so ends another great sports series on ESPN. Um, they were talking about it tonight with Stephen A and, and Magic Johnson in that panel. Last dance is behind us. I wanted to talk about the current state of sports. <coughs> Excuse me. There was some sports to watch over the weekend. Um, great sports. I mean, obviously if you're a NASCAR fan, you had that. I'm not a huge NASCAR person, so I'm not going to talk about that here. Golf had the charity skins game with Rory McIlroy and Dustin Johnson among the familiar guys. Uh, UFC had a great week of events taking place in Jacksonville. Obviously, the next major event coming up is the Amanda Nunes Felicia Spencer fight. Felicia Spencer fight in a couple of weeks' time. Um, they finished off a great week, as I said, down in Jacksonville at that arena behind closed doors. The past weekend saw the main event feature Alistair Overeem from the Netherlands defeat the sentimental favorite, the American Walt Harris. This was Harris's first fight, and most of the world was cheering for him. First fight since, obviously, the tragic death of his stepdaughter down in, I think it was Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas, one of those states in October. He got off to a great start. He was all over Alistair Overeem, but was not able to finish. Overeem took advantage of the second chance and knocked him out in the second round. Um, last week saw Justin Gaethje knock out Tony Ferguson for the interim lightweight tape title, and now he'll fight Khabib Nurmagomedov for the outright championship. Of course, a couple of days after this, the most famous name in the UFC right now, good old notorious Conor McGregor, went on an epic Twitter rampage ripping Khabib and Gaethje to shreds wanting the fight. Personally, I don't think he deserves it, and nor do a lot of people. Okay, he beat Cowboy Cerrone in October, there's no doubt about that. But in reality, Cerrone's been terrible. He's lost his last three or four fights in a row. I thought he got screwed in this most recent fight last week. But and it was his first win in three and a half years. I mean, he and that win I'm talking about, the last win, was against Nate Diaz, and he barely won that fight. You could make the argument he should have lost. On the subject of Nate Diaz, I think you should do a trilogy fight with him. Why not? It would make the UFC money. It'd be a great fight. And he has nothing to lose fighting Diaz or anybody at 170 right now. Because I don't necessarily think he would be an overwhelming favorite against any of those guys. It's if he loses at 155 in the lightweight division to somebody that he would they would cost him the chance at the belt, which would be a rematch with uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov, and that rematch would be, as Dana White said, arguably the biggest fight in the history of the company. With all this going on, of course, UFC's back. Golf is getting there. 
Um, German Bundesliga was back overseas. The big game of the weekend, I thought, was the Brisky Dortmund Schalke match. That's a big, that's a Yankees Red Sox type game in the Bundesliga, and Dortmund absolutely thrashed Schalke. With all this going on, none of the major leagues in the continent have resumed play yet. Uh, the NBA, I don't feel there's anything to worry about. I feel they could resume at any point of the season. It just basically comes down to how long they want their offseason to be, when they want their offseason to be, and when they want the regular season for the 2020-2021 season to start back up. I feel the MLB and the NHL, the two leagues that have so much to lose and so much to worry about. The Players Association, I feel, is being stubborn, and they will not take a pay cut for this 82-game season, which I, I really think they should. We need baseball back. Um, and then the National Hockey League wants to come back with a 24-team Stanley Cup playoff. Four divisions of, of six teams. The top two in each division get a bye to the classic 16-team tournament. And then there would be a one-game playoff, a play-in game. The number three seed would play the number six. The number four seed would play the number five. Of course, all this is going to take place on supposedly neutral grounds, depending on which states uh, legalize you know, arena sports to be played. Because um, I know Florida is doing that. I think California is getting close to that as well. Texas, they might do that in. Um, but then again, do we really want to see the Canadians, the the Panthers, the Blackhawks, these teams who are who are so far out of the playoff race when the uh, not so much Florida, but definitely Montreal and in Chicago when the season was paused? I think they're going a little bit uh, too far here. Uh, as far as I mean, that brings us to the end of a good week of sports discussion. Still plenty going on despite all the COVID nineteen stuff. Obviously, the Rooney rule was modified a little bit today to add more incentive to minority coaches getting hired. I think that's great. I mean, I think Barkley said it best. Charles Barkley said it best. Um, I was watching the documentary about the Alabama-Auburn rivalry when Auburn hired Gene Chizik to be the head coach back in 2008, and he felt race was the reason why they went with Chizik instead of – I can't remember the guy's name. He was a African-American. And he said, his quote was, there, ha- there is a lack of minority coaches being hired in college football. And if you're going to get such a high-profile job at, all, at a place like Auburn, would there be a, an African-American coach getting hired who had a 5-19 and 19 record somewhere else? And the answer was no. That was his exact quote. It's easy to make that argument. I, wouldn't, I don't necessarily disagree. I think diversity for any sport is great. There's no question about it. And I think if we could have more minority coaches, there is definitely a lack of that. Um, of course, the incentive would be better draft picks. I like what the NFL and the Players Association is doing right now. How many African-American coaches are there? I know there's Tomlin. I know Brian Flores is a coach. But you think about this. It took 41 years. It took until Super Bowl 41 for there to be an African-American coach. That's not in any way, shape, or form degrading black coaches at all in the slightest. I mean, that that's a misleading statement. To, I think when people make a big deal about a barrier being broken in terms of success. They want it. Tony Dungy won a Super Bowl because he was a good coach. All right. You know, they, the Colts won the Super Bowl in part because Tony Dungy was a great coach. Um, there's more to do with him than just being African-American. It's as simple as that. Um, and it, I feel we make a big deal because when they win, because it implies keywords implies John Thompson, I think said it perfectly. It implies that, um, a African-American coach became intelligent enough to lead a team to a championship, which is absolute nonsense, all right? If, you have, if you're good at coaching fundamentals, if you're good at getting your team motivated, if you're good at tactics, if you're good at discipline, if you're good at 
reeling the guys in and keeping everybody on the same page, there is a great chance you will win a championship. doesn't matter what color, what ethnicity, um, what orientation you are. It's that simple. Uh, and that brings it in basically to this first podcast. I, you know, I hope to make this, I hope to do a lot of these in the future. What to keep an eye out for this week. Obviously, this Sunday is that mega golf match with Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Tom Brady, and Peyton Manning. Something to look forward to. I wanted to end the show, and we'll try and do this every single week, with a top 10 list. Most of this show was obviously about the uh, my opinion on the GOAT discussion. And I actually, on my private Instagram page, I might create social networking for this, um, for this uh, podcast. Let me see if I can find it somewhere. I did do the top, my top 10 greatest NBA players of all time list. Number 10, I think Tim Duncan, probably the biggest part of that San Antonio Spurs dynasty. He was the leader. He was incredible to watch. Longevity, great player. Shaka put it number nine, all that success, all those great stats. Uh, definitely a character, and that's something basketball I actually think is missing right now. Eight, Bill Russell, 11 championships. I think he'd be higher if he won in any other era, but how can you leave him off the list? And he came through in the clutch big time. Whether it was in March Madness, whether it was in the Olympics, or whether it was in the NBA Finals, he knew how to get the job done. Most famous of that Celtics team. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I definitely put at number seven. Another great statistical player. Huge part of that Lakers team winning in the in the, um, in the 80s. He was a great player on the Milwaukee Bucks in the 70s. Will Chamberlain, I put at number six. Championships won. If it wasn't for Russell, he probably would have won more. Only NBA player to get to 100 points. Iconic. Larry Bird, I put at number five. Um, great leader on those 80s Celtics teams. You know, definitely the rivalry, the one team I feel like could stand up to the Lakers. Um, number four, Magic Johnson. I mean, humbled, leader, successful, great. All right. Sorry about that. Just had a little bit of a malfunction uh, right at the end. I think it was because I got up to the 30-minute point. Um, I was saying the final three players for this NBA top 10 list I was going through, it was um, LeBron at number three, Kobe at number two, Michael at number one. I think that's a lot of people's top three. It just depends on what order you put them in. Um, The whole thing about LeBron being the GOAT, listen, I'll admit, if LeBron wins one more championship, I hold my right hand up in the air and I say, I concede, I'll give him the GOAT label. Okay? And that's going to kill me to do. There is no doubt about it that is going to kill me to do all right thanks so much for listening to this week's show the uh premiere of the 30 minute podcast i don't know how consistently this will be i hope to do one every single week um i can't wait for more sports to come back so there's plenty to talk about uh thank you very much for listening this week and have a great seven days good night